true seller is someone who can create an opportunity where one did not exist. This quote is from our guest today, someone who's renowned as one of the top sales and negotiation coaches in America, according to Selling Power magazine, Lance Tyson. Lance is the founder and CEO of the Tyson Group, their top sales training company, as well as a best-selling author of the book, Selling is an Away Game, also a keynote speaker, been lucky to share the stage with him a few times over the years. Lance has over 30 years of experience training sales leaders in America's professional sports teams and developing sales pros so they can take their orgs and careers to the next level. Lance has also led negotiation strategies on multi-billion dollar naming rights and sponsorship deals for the nation's biggest sports stadiums. So really excited to have Lance on today. It's been a, 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 a conversation we've been having for a long time to get him on the podcast. So happy he's finally joining us. And hey, he's our first guest for season two of Bring It In. This episode today, uh, Lance is talking about what it takes to become a truly successful and innovative seller, what it means to be a great manager versus a great leader, and why it's so important to treat people as individuals rather than grouping people together, both in sales and in life. So if you're interested in sales, leadership, sports, professional development, negotiation, hey, maybe getting the most out of your people, or if you just want to hear one of the nation's top sales leaders give invaluable advice on how to succeed in your career, then this is a conversation you're not going to want to miss. So for the first time in 2021, let's bring it in. Let's kick it off, Lance. You've done a lot. You've done, you've done a ton, obviously, over your career. How'd you get into sales? Um, it's kind of interesting. Probably most, most C students get into sales. No, I'm just kidding, right? So um, I actually got into sales, um, ironically enough, probably my first formal sales job was selling. I sold rainbow vacuum cleaners, not making it up. I know you watch a lot of these market funnel guys that said they did this and that. I legit sold rainbow vacuum cleaners. I could sell one today. And because I got kicked out of a Cutco knife presentation, and I got kicked out because I think I was so into it. They thought I was on to them. They asked me to leave along with three other people. So I looked at and I, I responded to an ad that said, you know, you can make $10,000 a month. I was in college. I'm like, this would be great. Then from there, when I went to, I went to Penn State for, for a bit and I sold radio advertising for um, a residence hall uh, radio station we had. So that's kind of how like my first formal jobs in sales. And I was, you know, like all the cliche shit you'd say you know, gift the gab, like people, blah, 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 connect it with folks. Then I kind of, I kind of started to figure it out a little bit, went through college and, and, you know, communication was my thing. So, so I got in. What, what do you think makes a great seller? That's a, that's an interesting question. I think, I think there's two, I'll go to when I met you. I think there's one set of sellers that they're sold themselves. Like when I first met you and how passionate you are about one huddle, uh, you had the entrepreneurial, I'm sold myself. What are the, that's the last four words of enthusiasm. I'm sold myself for my product or service. And for entrepreneurs, it's always, it's always tough for them to find people that can sell their product or service as well as they could because nobody's going to be that passionate. Nobody sells Tyson Group as well as I do because they're not as passionate as me. I think, I think though that passion though to a great seller could go to somebody who's really passionate about their career, right? I think there's a guy that works for uh, NYFC, um, the soccer club, uh, New York soccer club there. His name is David Hiller. Like he's as passionate about his career, makes him a great seller, 
right? Because he's passionate about who he is, where he's going, what his direction is. I think there are things, those intangibles you can't measure. In my business, we, we measure a lot of things that, um, that salespeople do well. Grit, grit and attitude and that passion to succeed, really hard to measure. It's almost impossible to measure at some level. So that definitely makes somebody good at, good at selling. I think the other thing though, I would say in this line, I heard uh, a really good customer say this one time. He said, um, a seller is, a true seller is somebody who could create an opportunity where one did not exist. And that's the art of selling. So I think that's also where somebody gets those sight lines. I don't know, they're good questions. You do, you do a ton in your business on the sales assessments, which I think are um, more relevant than ever today, hmm. specifically because the managers need additional intel. I mean, even with work from home and being apart, I would yeah. assume that an assessment tool that works is a powerful addition to, uh, you know, to your toolbox. Any, any big learnings from the results of your assessments over the last year? Yeah, I mean, well, there, there's a couple of things. I think number one, um, we've done thousands of assessments in the last couple of years, and we do a lot in sports and entertainment. And I think, I think pre-pandemic, you do an assessment on somebody, and they were a lot of, lot of resistance, like this isn't true, or um, I'm really good at that stuff. And we're like, no, well, you got to understand you're not going to be good at everything. If you played football like you did, you're not good at every aspect of your position, right? And some people think it's, they, they should just be good at everything. So it's irrelevant if they're not, if it says they're not good. I think inside the pandemic, I've seen a humbleness that's happened. I think you, you see people that are way more open to this feedback. And I think, I think the answer is the reason why, because I've been asked that before, is if you think about this pandemic, if you go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but if you go to Maslow, which is kind of more positive psychology, Maslow says survival and safety are two of your key foundational motivations. I think when you look at this pandemic, most people, groups of people, you'd ask if you knew somebody that had COVID, they'd raise their hand. If you know somebody that's passed away from COVID, they're probably one one person removed. You know, somebody who's lost their job. Have you feared for your own job? Yes. And I think people are more open to getting that direct feedback where before they're a little bit more resistance because they weren't worried about losing their job. They weren't worried about that stuff. So I think people are saying, how can I get better? I need to increase my own value, my own stock, right? So what do you say to a salesperson out there right now that is trying to, you know, upgrade or, you know, raise their stock value inside of an organization, especially when, and you know this because you train a ton of organizations all over the world and do this with a lot of, you know, being in charge of skilling up a sales force is super important. Uh, you know, what, what do you tell them that they should be investing in right now uh, in themselves? You know, I, I, think, I think if you're, if we're going to narrow it down to one skill, I, I think the thing I'm hearing organizations and salespeople scream for, and even with my, my next book called Sell the Concept, the, you know, the art of prospecting, selling time, getting in the door, my publisher even said, hey, do something on prospecting. And we, and I was saying this in our pre-interview, we just recently had a really big pharmaceutical reach out to us and say, hey, we need help with prospecting. I go, what do you mean? And they're like, and who hasn't thought about being a pharmaceutical rep at some time, right? 
I have. I've been like, what a great job. Show up, coffee, donuts. Hey, how are you? Right. Get a door. And they said, Lance, our whole sales process is predicated on us being in front of the client, not getting in the door of the client. Our salespeople can't even walk in the door anymore. There's protocols. It's going to virtual medicine. It's going to virtual calls. Now we have to compete against the payroll company to get in the, to get in the physician's office. And I thought about that and I said, you know, what I tell salespeople now, you have to kind of be, in most sales jobs, you almost have to be good at everything. Where pre-pandemic, you could say, you know, I'm good at negotiating. I'm good at asking questions. I'm good at presenting. Now I think it's getting pretty primal, right? Like you got to be good at the whole damn thing, exploiting it, a lead, getting a lead if your company's not great at outbound. So I, I think right now what, what we're focusing on is some of those foundational skills. Interesting enough, though, people, you know this from your own business, if you're a good prospector, you're pretty decent at marketing or getting a message across because that's that happens in a microcosm, like a really quick hit. What can you say about the product of your product or the service of your service to get somebody's attention? It's that headline, right? In the Wall Street Journal that grabs somebody's attention. So I think that's the biggest thing we're coaching on. And we're seeing people, you know, raise their hand and say, we need help on from, and it really doesn't matter what industry, we're seeing it across the board. I mean, we have six companies we're working right now on ad. We've never done anything in ad, right? Seed companies and companies that, compete against big blueberry companies. I mean, we're um, tomato, we're on, we're on with uh, Red Gold later today, which is a big tomato company. And, you know, I think across the board, organizations are struggling um, with yeah. just that piece. If you were, let, let's just, let's make the leap for a second. Let's say we didn't have an NFL combine. Let's say we had a sales combine and you were responsible for being, you know, standing there on the 40, evaluating talent, <laughs> you know, with, with your, with your, <laughs> watch around your neck, right? Uh, what do you look for? And shifting gears to managers, because I've sat in all types of trainings with you, and I think it's it's wild because you, you do so. You're, you're straightforward. You're to the point. You connect super quickly. You get the audience on your side. They listen. But I can't help but sit in the back of the room thinking, like, so much of what you're saying is connecting directly at the manager. Right. So putting myself in the manager's seat right now, who's looking at their workforce, you know to our combine example, what are you looking for today? So that, that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. I, you know, I keep going back to as, as boring as the book is Moneyball. Like, I think the book's boring. I think they took a, a very boring topic and, and put a really great looking freaking actor in front of there and, and made it even more interesting. But I'm looking for the stuff that's more universal at this point, because like, I think managers, you know, managers struggle with a couple things, right? The, so many managers have, have tried to falsely keep their, their people motivated this year. They've sold this false hope. And then I've been asked so many times in consulting to come in and say, hey, can you tell everybody to count their blessings? I'm like, yeah, right? So I'm looking for number one, I'm looking for somebody that has, has is a self-soother, not a crybaby. I'm, and that's one thing I'm looking for. And I'm not trying to be insensitive to, headspace and stuff like that. I think we all got to be good at that. And, you know, there's three types of people, you know, people that, that can talk to themselves. Sometimes you need somebody else to talk to, and sometimes you need meds to help you. And I'm not criticizing any of that, but I want somebody that can kind of work themselves through that a little bit. Your mind's like a bad neighborhood. Sometimes it's not going to be alone in it. So I'm looking definitely for that. Somebody good in their headspace that can solve problems and, and things like that. Secondly, 
I'm looking for those universal skills, right? Because as a manager, you got to get something through your head and you're, you're in the learning business. Not every skill is trainable, period. Like if we were going with the stopwatch, if somebody runs a 5.640, there ain't no way in hell I'm getting them to a 4.440. It ain't happening ever. So I can teach you how to stand differently, how to come out of your stance quicker, but you're, you're not going to get a second and 1.2 seconds off there. You're just not that fast. So I'm looking for things that I can train that are more universal, right? There are things I can train to. So I'm looking for those general things, but I hate to be cliche and say attitude, but I'm going to go a step further than attitude. No cry. I just wrote a book on EQ. Um, I'm looking for self-soothers, people that can deal with themselves. Because look, right now, there are some, I'm dealing with some teams and some organizations where people just shut down. They're, they can't move forward because of the uncertainty and, and they're nervous. And scared. And really, sure, they should be, but you got to get some stuff done too. You're going to have to fight through it a little bit. So that's that's what I'm looking for in the headspace piece. Probably the biggest thing I'm looking for. Sure. No, I think it's a great point. You know, it's, uh, I feel like today being so remote, it's almost like, it feels like a long distance relationship is what, what I say. You know, it's, you, you need people that can, you got, you know, when I dated my wife and we, we lived apart for three years, sometimes I had to call her late at night and tell her where I was going. It wasn't a matter of trust. It was just a matter of respect. And I had to do a little bit more because we weren't apart. We were apart. And I think another thing is to get your reaction on this. Some people in the org maybe don't understand that. They don't understand that because we're apart, I have to do a little bit more too to make yes. the relationship work. Yep. And, and who's the only person you can change? You can only change yourself. So you're going to have to do that. But, you know, you bring up another really good point. There are a lot of managers now that are struggling. You know, when I asked them this question and we, you know, we do more management work than we do sales training. We're working more through the managers than anything else. And I would, there are so many managers that raise their hand when you say, do you have people on your team that you just don't trust are working? And they're like, yeah. And I, how long are you going to be able to exist that way? How's that going to impact your culture? You know, what does that look like? What are you going to do differently to hold them accountable? I said, but if you don't trust that they're going to work, you got a big issue. And that could be because of you, but that could be because that could be because of them and who they are. And you got to relook at this stuff. And so are you going to go the extra mile? And I, I like, I have one manager that works down in Miami that has gone so far overboard with that stuff. He checks on those people all the time that he acts like he doesn't trust them because he's trying to over communicate. Right. So you gotta, it's this really fine line and there's not a playbook for it right now. There's not a playbook. Yeah. Like it's not. So I, I think that's, I think that's an interesting concept because that's so 360 It affects culture, affects accountability, it affects what the long distance relationship right? How often do you talk to people? And, and then on top of that, who's sick of the freaking Zoom cocktail hours? I am. Like, don't ever invite me to one again. I never want to go again. Yeah, so. totally. The, you, know, you, you bring up a thought because I, want to talk, I wanted to talk to you about managers, so I'm glad we went here. The, the one thing I've seen that's a, that's a struggle is, and I think that this is why so many people either attend a ton of podcasts or they, you know, they try to dive into a ton of books. They take systems and try to make them their own, but it's really like formalizing what your philosophy is as a coach, like as a sales manager, forget the organization you work in, 
just as a manager, what is your own personal philosophy that uh, when it's put to paper, you're going to live it every day, whether it's how you're coaching people, how you're hiring people, how you're developing people, how you're leading people. Are there any like, you know, and again, every book, I know, you, you know, you've written a few. There's always that page in the back that has the grid that's like everything. That's, you know, solid gold to people that understand. Uh, what, what are some like big takeaways you can give to the manager out there that's sitting there thinking like, I look out at the team, how do I get the most out of them right now? I, th- I think I think there's I think there's something really primal that that starts that I, I, it never ceases to amaze me that most managers don't understand the difference between leadership and management, so it affects everything they do negatively from there, right? So so very simply put, leadership is anything that has to do with people, communication, vision, motivation, people skills, and management is anything that has to do with process, planning, organizing, directing, coordinating, controlling. And you got to separate both concepts and you got to understand you could be really good at one and not very good at the other. Right. I literally, um, I was just get, I just got a text from a guy named Doug Dawson. He basically runs the Cowboys organization and on the ticket side of things and early in Doug's career, he was way more process and he would communicate everything from a process standpoint. Over time, he got better at the people side of it. And just because, but, but here's what's really interesting. When you ask people the question, would you rather be called a leader or a manager? Most people would say leader. They're not the same word. So I would say that's number one. Phil, whatever your philosophy is, you need to understand that they are not interchangeable words. Predictable process yields predictable result. People support a process that they feel helps them succeed. Right? So that's, that's and, and people, and people, support a world they help create. So you got this, these two conflicts. Secondly, as it relates to people, um, there's a very fine line between motivation and manipulation. That's the next thing I'm going to tell you. And you got to understand the dark arts. There's a fine line, right? And the word manipulation isn't even bad. If you look at the first definition in Merriam-Webster's on, on manipulation, or it might be the second, is to act in a skillful manner. And so you know this, like your whole, you, 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 take, you take one huddle, which is such a great product, right? And does so many things and you're running these games. Could you be running the games to motivate people? Yep. Could you be manipulating behavior? Yeah, when you get prizes and stuff and it's not bad, it's good. Some people, you know, motivation is more from within and you know, I can, I can pick up a shovel and I got to manipulate the shovel to move the stone if I'm shoveling stone. So like, you got to understand that concept too. And one, one of the, it's your intent. And then the last thing, the last takeaway that I'm big on, I never coach anybody unless I bring their awareness up first. And people always ask me, well, what do you mean? I go, okay, if I was going to coach Sam on something, if I saw he was in a meeting and he could, there's a way he could improve his communication because he frustrated some people. I wouldn't go in there and tell Sam what to do. I go, Sam, are you open for some coaching? And I would just see how he reacted off of that to decide whether I'd give him some feedback. I'd say, are you open for some feedback? If I had some information that could help you, would you want to know about it? I'd never coach or give anybody feedback unless I asked that first. And there's been plenty of times in my career where I haven't given the feedback I wanted to just based off a person's body language how receptive they were because if that awareness isn't there you're wasting your breath so
they're my they're my three things. You can tell I'm pretty passionate about all I like three it. those rocks. So I like it. I think the awareness that you know the the uh, the conver that conversation you have with somebody to make sure they can accept feedback is super important. Um, no doubt. I want I want to ask you one other question before we wrap, and it has to do with generations. Everybody, you know, you've been through a few of these, I assume, not to say you're, you know, well, people can't, this is a podcast, so they can't see you, whether you're old. No, oh, I'm, I'm every bit, 50. <laughs> I'm every freaking bit 50. I'm, I'm definitely Sam's older brother by maybe three years, because I know he's probably like 47. Just kidding. <laughs> if, you, if, if you wanted to, you know, if you want to make a lot of money, you know, a few years ago, you'd write a book complaining about millennials. Now you're going to write a book complaining about Gen Z. You know, the next know is exactly. Gen Alpha, Gen Alpha, which is my daughter, which is three, you're going to start complaining about her. Uh, what, how do you feel about that? What do you think, what do you, how do you think that affects, what, what, what should managers be thinking about when they think about uh, the generational differences that they're facing today? So that's such a good question. So if, if you look me up, I, I, like I have zero issue with um, millennials or Gen Z, zero. Like, I actually think there'll be better salespeople, better business people. And I would tell you, if you're in my age bracket, just freaking remember, the age bracket older than us complained about us the same way we complain about the other generations and the same way your generation will and everything else. So I just think that's garbage. I think there's some things that are universal. So for you to say, for you or anybody else or me to say, hey, you got to, you, you know, Gen Z or millennials aren't as competitive. I don't know. I I have kids of that age are pretty freaking competitive. I mean, I think we, I think over COVID, there's been at least four or five fist fights in this house because they all keep score on who takes out the trash more or the dog out. So they don't keep score, they're not competitive, but I call bullshit. So I think acting like that and not understanding human nature, look, is information more available now than before? Yeah, so you're probably gonna have to be a little bit more transparent because somebody can go to a glass door and see what the hell you're paying a similar job. So yeah, you're gonna have to be a little, you're not gonna be able to be as cagey, right? So I think, I think my philosophy on that is there's plenty of universal tools that work across generations. One, treat people with respect. Two, Remember a person's name is the single most important sounding language, which means you should teach people, treat people individually. Like nobody wants to be treated in a group. And so that's the other thing I would say to, to end that piece. I think we get ourselves in trouble when we categorize people in groups. When you put people in a big group and you think about how am I going to treat this group, you get in trouble when you do that um, with demographics, you get in trouble when you do that with people with age, you get in trouble when you do that with um, gender. I, th I think you treat people like people and you look at it that way. And there's some very universal tactics that work in most countries and most places in the world. So that's, that's, that's always my feeling. And you can go to, you go to my website and check it out. Like we have plenty of age groups in my company and plenty of demographics. And I think, I think you decide as a leader to make that work or not. You do in your company, Sam, I like you got your people on there all the time. You got all all, all different types of people there, all different types of jobs, and you know it as well as anybody. So, sure. Yeah, this has been great, Lance. I want to ask, you know, last question: what's what's coming up for you and the Tyson Group in 2021? Yeah, so like we're 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 like any other organization. I think you said it well in our pre-interview. Um, surviving COVID was the name of the game. How do you transform your business enough to continue to do what you're doing? Look to reshift. So we we've reshifted 
a lot of what we did in in October, um, Selling Power named us as a top 20 online sales training organization. Um, I will tell you before that award, we literally were 100% instructor led, not virtual instructor led. So we have transformed as an organization. I think the biggest thing for us is the platform that we're building and going to launch some of our online programs. And we got to, we'll, we'll have, we have a book coming out on prospecting that's going to be pretty important for our new program we're going to launch and uh, we're hiring. So if you're listening and you're in a, you're in a sales job, give me a call. So we're, we're in a hiring mode right now. So it's grow or die, right? Love it. Grant, Lance, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. Hey, would you rather be called a leader or a manager? I can't think of a single person who answer manager if they were asked that question. But like Lance said, most managers don't understand the difference between leadership and management. Just don't get it. At One Huddle, we always talk about how the best leaders are great coaches. Because leadership is all about people. Successful coaches and leaders are good at their jobs because they understand people. They understand how to support them. They know how to challenge them. They know how to bring out the best in them. A lot of managers fail because they're more focused on the process that they think works than the people in front of them that are they are actually responsible for managing, coaching, and getting the most out of. Lance uh, does an awesome job at transforming teams. He's I've seen him do it across the country, uh, specifically as he hones in on managers and how we get, how do we work on the process of turning them into true leaders and successful coaches. So thank you, Lance, for being on our first Bring It In of 2021. It was great having you on the pod. There are big things in store for season two of Bring It In. So don't forget to subscribe and check back every week for new episodes. We got pro athletes, political leaders, managers, coaches, entrepreneurs, CEOs. We got a huge lineup ahead. So I'm super excited. You're not going to want to miss it. Now, back to it.